First uh, John two verses three through six. But uh, welcome back to church this post Easter Sunday and a rainy day at that uh, as we come together to worship God. After last week, one of my boys had mentioned to me that on social media he did not realize how many of his friends um, had said something about Easter or Jesus Christ. He said that. For the majority of the time that he may have known them or have looked at their social media posts, that they never really say much about Christ or about the message of Jesus Christ. And uh, I got a chance to talk to them about the true saving power of Jesus Christ and what it really means in our life or what really marks our life of salvation. And for us, it's very important to understand this because the majority of America, or what we call Christianity in America, miss that because they miss the true nature of salvation. They think that Easter or just a social media post or a hashtag once a year really is what Christianity is all about. Like that's as pragmatic as some people believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is or the salvation of Jesus Christ is. And if you see in their lifestyle or on their social media page or in their neighborhood or in their home, you would see a lifestyle that was contradictory to the message of Jesus Christ. So what they say or what they believe may not line up with what Scripture says. Well, John must have been one of those who were on Facebook or social media because he started looking at the Gnostics who in his time believed that they knew what Christianity was. They said we have a superior knowledge than what's taught in the Bible, and we have this understanding that no one else could have. But in that, we are saved in our spirit, and in our spirit we are saved, but in our flesh, we can't do anything with it. So they continue to live a lifestyle of sin. They continue to live a life that was not honoring to God and God's word and to the gospel, but yet still claiming that they had this knowledge of God in their life. And so John set out to clearly refute the Gnostic Gospels. He, he set out to say, I want to give you some very clear guidelines, some very clear truth. And we read through 1 John some, and we realized he come out swinging, right? Like he came out, he calls people liars. He says the truth is not in you. He says you think you're of light, but you really are in darkness. I mean, he, he held no punches. He, he was very direct, and he was very uh, crystal clear in his statements about salvation. And, and it's very important for us to, to get that because we live in a society, we live in a culture that lives by feelings. If it feels right, then it must be right. If it feels wrong, then it must be wrong. But if you feel one way and I feel another way, you have a right to feel that way and I have a right to feel that way too. So basically... There is no truth. Truth is what you feel. And we know how feelings are, right? Feelings are up and feelings are down. And when there is no truth, there is no guiding principles, there, there is no, there is no uh, depth to what you believe. It all is based on feelings, based on emotions. Well, John was definitely not one of those touchy-feely kind of guys. He, he was a guy who was direct and he spoke directly the word of God. He spoke directly when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was crystal clear. And it's important because as crystal clear as John could be, he should be because of the salvation that hinges on all eternity. Think about that. 
We're not talking about something that we could disagree on. We're talking about something that your salvation hinges on. Uh, The belief that you have of God's word and what salvation is and what it's not should not be given by feelings. It should be given by truth. And truth may be narrow. Truth may hurt sometimes. We may not want to hear the truth sometimes, but it must be because truth is truth. And John was very clear. And we need to be clear, too, as a church. You need to be clear, too, is what you believe. Because in the world, it is very fuzzy. It is very about, it's all about feelings. When it comes to salvation, it's not about feelings. And so John was clear, and he writes these things down. And just like other false beliefs and false teachings, they had told so many lies uh, that you can't keep up with them. Like they changed the way they believe. They changed the way that they say. They, they change it so much. But basically, with false teachings, you will find two major problems with it. Number one, they attack the nature of Jesus Christ. Now, we could talk about God, and most people in this country and our culture across the world, you could talk about God, and there probably won't be much argument about God. But when you start talking about Jesus Christ, that's where the problem comes in. When you say Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when you say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, when you say Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price for our sins and no one else could do it, that's where the problem comes in. And so with the nature of Jesus Christ, they have to attack the Savior. And if they attack the Savior, then they attack the salvation. And as they attack the salvation, you can see it, and you can see this this process of them attacking Christ and attacking the salvation that's biblical and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so basically, the Gnostics here were saying they believed in Jesus, but you couldn't see any evidence of it all in the flesh. It was all in the Spirit. They all had it on the inside, but there was nothing that marked them on the outside. They were living in gross immorality and in sin. So John writes this little letter, and he writes it to be very clear, to show what is and what is not salvation, so that those who were saved, that was the scripture we read talking about our series of why we can be sure of our salvation Here are the marks of a a Christian of the gospel of Jesus Christ that are undeniable. So if you are a child of God, you can say, I have true salvation, no doubt about it. Or you might look and say, I do not recognize these marks or these distinctions or the evidence of this salvation, and I may not be saved, but I may need to be saved. And John makes it clear, it's not a secret. You don't have to try to find him. You don't have to try to dig. You don't have to get him. He makes them very clear. And uh, have you ever noticed traits in family uh, sometimes are very distinct? Um, in our family, we have some very distinct traits in our family. If you're a part of our family, uh, my immediate family, um, I have three children and my wife, Erin, you have to have freckles. That's one of our traits, all right? When we go to, out to eat and without, with other families or with my parents or whoever else, they will look and sometimes they will say, oh, okay, so you're with the Freckle family. Yes, we are the Freckle family. And so that's a very distinct trait that we have. Um, Stephanie, who married Roger Jr., said she was looking through some old pictures this uh, past week. She said she saw a picture of me when I was about Courtney's age, and she said, she looks identical to you. Poor little girl. I'm so like. <laughs> No, but she does make me look pretty, does she not? I mean, like, that's like a pretty version of who I am, all right? I'm very excited about that. But, but our family as well have, are identified by certain traits. Uh, Tanner, 
Um, we tease because we have these flat heads in the back, and uh, so we are the flathead tribe. That's me and him. Very distinct mark. If you see him from behind, you will notice he looks identical to me. All right? You have him. We have him. People will say, you can't deny who your dad is. All right? It's very distinct. Well, John comes, and he's saying, listen, these are so distinct. This, this distinction of being a Christian is so easily identified that when you see a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, there is without doubt, there is an assurance that you can know that you know that you are part of the family of God, and you don't have to doubt it. And you can know beyond a shadow of doubt what true Christianity is. So 1 John chapter 2 Verses 3 through 6 gives us three more identifying marks that we're going to talk about this morning. So, verse John 2, verses 3 through 6. If you have a Bible, I hope you have. You can mark these scriptures. You can look at them later, or you can write it down. You can go back and look at it later or look it up for yourself. It says this, Now by this we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, if you've been around biblical teaching or biblical theology, you know that the majority of theology is based around salvation. It is the deepest work that God does in a person's life. It's the deepest work. The redemption of our soul, the salvation of our hearts, the salvation of who we are touches every area of our life. And it's not just an emotional thing. It's not just a commitment. It's not just a behavior. It has depth to it. It has a depth to it. It has a, a, it has a weight to it that we look at and we try to study. And many times we talk about how it transcends time, that that we, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we're going to be saved. Like, like there's justification and sanctification and glorification. There, there's a depth to salvation. And when we get to salvation, we must realize that it has multi-dimensions to it. It's a depth like anything else. And so when we come to talk about salvation of our souls, it's not for you just to say, well, it's another message about salvation. I've already done that. I was seven years old and I walked an aisle. Can we get past that? No. Salvation is deeper than that. Salvation is something that transcends time, but it also transcends every area of your life. It's not just a, a commitment or a behavior or an emotion. It's the greatest work that God does in the salvation of our souls. And it's not a been there, done that, got the t-shirt thing. It is something that grows and lives and transforms our life every single day. It moves in our heart. And John wants us to be so sure of it that he spends this whole letter telling us thing and time over again and again and again to be sure that we sure that we know. And sometimes as you read John, you say, this is getting redundant. He has said this before and he's saying it again. Well, not just, like a, just like a loving father whose child has just learned, that, who just received their learnings per, learner's permit to drive, all right? When you go to drive a car, I realized how difficult it was to try to explain to a 15-year-old how to actually drive a car. It's not that easy. You know, when you drive a car, most of it's just experience. 
And also, when you start to, to teach your 15-year-old, you realize that that child that has wrecked everything leading up to this point and still has the uh, reasoning capability of picking their nose or not cleaning up their room or not listening to instructions, right? That they are, you are literally putting your life in their hands at that point. And when they pull out of that driveway, all of a sudden you begin to think, which, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, man, I could drive across the world. I mean, I was just so good. I got in the car and I felt like I could drive anywhere or go anywhere. And then I think now, well, maybe they should raise that to 18 years old. I don't know. But anyway, it's weird how your perspective changes the parent. But anyhow, 15 years old. But then when they turn 16, they are handed the keys and they're allowed to drive anywhere. Now, both of my boys, their first drive was to grandma's house, which is about two miles away. All right. But before they left, I was in the, I was in the driveway and I said, roll down your window. I would tell them to put their seatbelt on. Do not text and drive. Stay in your lane. Stop at the stop signs. Do not pull out in front of anyone. Do not speed. Keep your hands both on the steering wheel. And even to this day, Tucker called me yesterday and said he would be heading home this morning from camping with his grandparents. And I said, listen, make sure you put your seatbelt on. It is raining. Make sure you don't speed. Make sure you do. And I'd go through the whole thing. And regardless of the eye rolls and the breath blowing, all right, I was a loving father. I wanted to be sure that he's sure that he's sure because his life was in his hands. His life is in his hands. And John is talking about not just our life. He's talking about salvation, so he wants to be sure that you're sure that you're sure that you know this and the depth that it is in salvation. And so as he comes to this point, he says, now I want to see this dimension of salvation that you can't miss. These three things you cannot miss. And I often say, and even here, I say that salvation changes our mind. It changes our heart and it changes our hands. Often I say salvation is in the head, it's in the heart, and it's in the hands. And John comes, and as he takes us through Scripture here, we're going to see all three. It's not one of the two or two of the three. It's the head, it's the heart, and it's the hands. And as we look through John, he begins with the head. He says, now, as he begins right here in this verse, he says, now by this we know in our minds that if we know him, in our minds, in our head, then we keep his commandments. Now, the word keep here is very important. It stresses in the Greek language the ideal of an observant, watchful attitude. It literally means to guard or to revere or to put above anything else. It's not just the ideal. It's a marginal way of thinking or a one-time thought about the gospel. No, it means that in, in its context, this guy's really smarter than I am, this Greek scholar. He says that it is a present uh, subjunctive, which means it's continual. It means in the sense that is continual exercising of a guardianship of the commands of the gospel of the word of God, because you consider them reverent and precious and above all else. It's a habitual, moment-by-moment, day-by-day, revering of the Word of God in your mind that develops a thought process that makes us obedient to the commandments of God. You see that? So what he's saying is, in our minds, as we look to the Word of God or the Gospel, it's not a glancing look. 
It's not to say I was a sinner, I was saved, and I don't think about it anymore. No, what he's saying is when you come to the word of God and the gospel of Christ, it changes your mind in such a way that it is continually in the forefront of your mind that you revere that way of thinking. You revere God's principles and God's word more than you do your own way of thinking and the worldly way of thinking. So here we have the word of God, the gospel of Christ. It transforms our mind. Put it simply, it changes our thinking. It changes the way that we think. Now you think, well, which way, what's some forms of the way that that created or formed the way of my thinking? Well, I would have to say first and foremost is probably the way that you were raised. Your parents taught you a certain way to think about things. The way to think about people the way to think about school, the way to think about a job and a career. As we come out, we have parents that put into our life the way that we think about some things. When I was in college, it's like a class, a class of, you know, clash of culture sometimes, and you hear people say something, and you say, where did you ever get that from? And they would say, well, that's what my parents told me. And so their parents told them, and so they think that way, and that's their way of thinking. Also, education can change the way that you're thinking. Education can change the way that you think. Also, a big one in our uh, society today is our culture. The atmosphere in which you are raised can cause certain ways of thinking in your life. When I was raised in the 80s, it was thought that parachute pants were cool, all right? But... Obviously, to someone in the 60s or 70s, uh, you know, tie-dye was cool, and uh, bell-bottoms were cool, and certain genres of music were cool that's not cool now and not cool today. And we got blood shoes today. I don't even know what those things are, the rest of them. Uh, you got different ways you think, but your culture or your atmosphere up impacts the way that you think. And some people just think because they've heard it on the TV or they've heard it on social media or it's part of your, part of your uh, intake of your mind through the culture. And we have this constant influx of this culture and this education of people you're raised. And when we get to the end of how we think in our own bit, it is sinful, it is worldly, and it's wrong. That's how we get ourselves in trouble. But yet what... John is saying, as a Christian, as someone who has received the gospel of Jesus Christ, your mind now is transformed. That you don't think the way that you used to think. That how you used to think about people, you no longer think that way. How you used to think about sin, now you think differently about that sin. How you used to think about marriage is now different how you think about marriage. How you think about parenting is now different than what you used to think about parenting. How you think about serving as a non-believer is now totally different on how you think about serving uh, God now. So how those things change our minds, the gospel transforms our mind. Let me give you a good scripture. Romans 12.2. We quote this a lot, but I think we missed the meaning of it because... Verse 2 in Romans 12 says, And we do not be conformed to this world, okay? So don't be conformed into the image or conformed into this world, but be transformed by how? The renewing of your mind. There it is. How do we get, how do we get transformed by, by, by transforming our mind? Renewing of our mind. Transformed is by renewing your mind. You change the way you think. 
So in our process of salvation, our mind changes. We think differently about sin. We think differently about good. We think differently about abortion. We think different about our culture. We think different about fornication. We think different about things in our life that used to be okay. And all of a sudden now we realize and we think differently on those things. Because the gospel has transformed our minds. I love uh, older country music. And I say older country music because I think country music passed away about 1990. All right, I think that was about the end of it. Matter of fact, I love country music so much. I told Josh in the early service, I think that if God would have given me a good voice, I might have been a country singer. You know what I mean? I might have been, might have been Garth Brooks 2.0. I don't know. <laughs> but the good part about it is I could drive down the road, my window's down, and no one can hear me sing, but I, really, I just feel like I could really sing country music, but I can't. But anyhow, back, in the, back when I was growing up, there was a, a guy named Paul Overstreet, and he had a song called Daddy's Coming Around to Mama's Way of Thinking. Have you ever heard it? You're from Mississippi. You had to hear that. All right. <laughs> oh, you've heard it? All right. That, nobody heard of it in early service. Uh, but anyhow, the song goes that Daddy, uh, when they got married, he was hanging out with the boys, drinking all night and coming home late while Mama was home taking care of the kids and cleaning the house. And one night, Daddy came home to find out that his key wouldn't work in the door anymore. And Mama said, you need to hit the road until you come around to my way of thinking. And as the song goes, Daddy came around to Mama's way of thinking. And he even does the dishes every once in a while, it says, right? And so the whole song is the point that he changed his way of thinking because he he was wrong. Well... When we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's some thinking that we have, what's right and what's wrong in our minds that needs to change. And when you come to Jesus Christ, the way that you used to think totally changes. It changes our thinking. It changes our mind. We have to come around to God's way of thinking. And we can't think sin is okay. We can't think that the unforgiveness in our heart is okay. We can't think we can treat people wrongly and get away with it. We can't think that we can do this and that. It's got to change. We've got to come around to God's way of thinking. The gospel changes our head. Not only our head, it changes our heart. Look what he says in the second part of that. He says, whoever, but whoever keeps this word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. See that? So it goes from changing our mind, but it also changes our hearts. That in our hearts, now we have the love of God. That our heart has been changed. That we've been born again. That our heart is now born of the spirit of God. That the desires that we used to have now, we don't have those desires anymore. We have godly desires. That, that for us in our heart, that he would take a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. That now we desire to do the things of God. Not that we have to, but that we want to. That, that I don't have to serve God, I get to serve God. Not that you have to read your Bible or you have to pray. You get to pray. You get to read your Bible. You have a desire in your heart that has been changed. And where love, uh, where, where you used to have hate, now there is love. Where you used to have unforgiveness, now there is forgiveness. Where you used to have bitterness, now there is joy. 
And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, your heart begins to change. And God's love is perfected in our hearts. And people see us. And John even says later in his gospel here, he says that people will know you if you have love of God in your life. And for us in our hearts is our desires for the things of God. And for us, as we look to the true gospel, we realize that our desires have changed. Listen, you can pick up a math book and it won't change your life. You can pick up a science book and it won't change your heart. You can pick up a literature book and it won't change your life. Tanner came home this past week and he says, I don't know. He did bad on a test. He says, I don't know. It's something about stupid Macbeth. <laughs> I was like, amen. Right. I, I don't know anything about Macbeth or Romeo and Juliet or any of that literature stuff. Right. Maybe some of you artsy people might make you feel funny or whatever, but does nothing for me. It doesn't change my heart. You don't hear of people reading Macbeth or of Roman Julian and hearts being changed, but you do hear of people who read, hear the gospel and hear the word of God and they take their heart of stone and it turns it to a heart of flesh. You see people who hate people and all of a sudden they begin to love people. You see people who wanted nothing to do with the will of God and all of a sudden they're serving God with their whole heart. You see people who wanted nothing to do with their marriage or their kids, and all of a sudden they love their wife and they love their kids or they love their spouse. God, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and the love of God flows through our heart and it changes our heart. It changes our desires, it changes the way we think, and it changes the way that we have, these, uh, have our heart and our desires in our heart. Thirdly, it changes our hands, it changes our actions. So, so we have the head, we have the heart, and now we see the hands. He says, he who says he abides in him, talking about Jesus Christ, he also uh, is to walk just as he walked. You see that? He says, now he is Jesus Christ. So he says, if you say you know Jesus Christ and you say the gospel of Jesus Christ is in your life, then you should walk just as Jesus walked. That when people look at your life, they should see Jesus. When people hear your words, they should hear the words of Jesus. When people see your actions, when people see who you are and what you do in your actions, it should change. It should change how you treat, spend your time and your treasure and your talent as well. We talk about this a lot at church. God has given you a certain amount of time and how you spend your time says a lot about what you regard in your heart. Listen, when you come and serve God, or you take time to pray, or you take time to read your Bible, you're saying, my time is worth uh, sitting down, and my actions are worth taking the time to do the things of God. Listen, we have no problem going to football games for four hours, or we have no problem going and doing things for movies for three or four hours. But when a brother or sister needs prayer, we have a hard time finding five minutes to pray for them. We have a hard time carving out a couple minutes a day to read God's Word. We have a hard time listening to a sermon or listening to Scripture or working on those things. But yet, when it comes to the Gospel and we come to our time, we must look and say, what does our time say about our hearts? What does our time say about our actions? Listen, every time you go and serve God, you're witnessing and saying, God's Word and His will has changed in my life and it's worth me taking my time to do God's will in my life. Listen, not only our time, but our treasure. Our hearts are connected to our wallets. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He didn't say where your heart was, that's where your treasure is. He said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. 
Because your, your, how you spend your money or the resources God has given you is a direct, uh, is a direct connection to your heart. And, and for us, a lot of times God has given us so much and he's given us so many treasures and we use it on ourselves and we don't ask God for his will and we load ourselves with debt that we can't help others or help our families or spend time for the, or give to the mission of God. And he says, for us as Christians, it should have changed in our heart and our desires and our actions should show that we revere the kingdom of God more than we do the things of this world. And then you look at our talent. I was teasing about being a country music singer, but listen, how many country music singers or singers across the world do you, can you imagine that God had given them this talent to serve God and they've used it for the world? Think about the gifted people that's impacted this world just for country music or just for an emotional feeling or just for some hit song that could have, could have changed people's hearts and lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. And each and every one of us has a talent that God has given us. And for us as Christians, for us who've been changed by the gospel, it should be marked in our lives that we take our talents and we use them for the kingdom of God. That we serve others because of what God has done for us and he's changed our heart and our life. Time, talents, and treasures really reveal our actions. And as you come and you read these things, as we've been working through 1 John, we realize that salvation is more than just a hashtag. True salvation and relationship with Jesus Christ is more than a cultural Easter tradition. It's something that has depth to it. It's something that changes your head. Something that changes your heart. It's something that changes your hands. And once salvation occurs, when all these things are, are, are in your life, they're evident. And, and, and so most of you may walk out here and say, well, pastor said that if I can change my mind and I can change my heart and I can change my hands and I'm saved. No. You missed it. You missed it. And you missed what John was saying. John didn't say you could do it. He said the gospel could do that. He said, I write these things to you who say you believe that you can know and you can see this evidence in your life that Jesus can change your mind. The gospel can change your heart and, and God, the gospel can change your hands, your action. And what he really says is all these things are evidence they are markings for you to look to your life and say, what does my head look like? How do I think towards people? How is my heart? What are my desires? How are my actions? Do they testify to Jesus Christ? Do they honor the Lord Jesus Christ? And John says, if they don't, then you need to check your salvation. Because to say that you've been saved or checked a card or walked an aisle and your life's never been changed... He said, that's not what the gospel is. That's not evidence of your salvation. Rather, he says, but if you are saved and you see evidence in your life and you see it that your mind has been changed and your heart is changing, your hands are changing, then he says, bless, you can know and you can know that you have salvation. You can know you have the real thing and you don't have to doubt about it. I was in college. One guy challenged and said, if you are arrested for being a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? And if we just take the criteria that John gave us this morning, and you were arrested for being a Christian, you were standing trial. The judge and the jury and all the rest were there. The prosecuting attorney stands up to bring the evidence, and they take a screen and they put up all the thing, the ways that you think, what you think, how you think about people. How you think about this world, what you think about sin, what you think about all the issues in our culture. And they could put it up on a screen and people would look at it. And as they looked at that screen, would there be enough evidence 
of a gospel change in your life to convict you of being a Christian. If you could take your heart and the desires of your heart for those who are in your life, for your family, for, for your friends, for your coworkers, for people that's around you, for the desires of your heart that you would like to do for God, would there be enough evidence of the gospel and Christian testimony in your life to bring conviction for you to be a Christian? And if you put your hands up there, all your actions, all your deeds, if they could put it on a screen and scroll through it and say, here's what they've done and here's how, the, how they've treated people and here's where they've spent their time, here's where they've spent their money, here's where they've spent their, their talents, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? And listen, I'm not the judge and neither is John, but I'm sure as you read through these scriptures, there are some very clear principles He makes it so clear that there's no denying it. And listen, if there's no evidence in your head and there's no evidence in your heart and there's no evidence in your hands, John says, you must seriously consider your salvation. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying it's worth you checking out to see what you think about salvation and if the gospel is really real in your life. But on the other hand, if there's evidence in the way that you think, and there's evidence in the way that you desire things in your heart. And there's evidence in the actions you have in your life. Then I think like John, you can say of this one thing, I am sure that Jesus Christ has saved my soul. And one thing I could be sure of that I can shout and I could sing blessed assurance for Jesus is mine. And, and, and oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And I think for us as Christians, it's important for us to distinct between the will of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and the will and the work of the devil in our life. The, the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God will never convict you of the same sin twice that you repent of. Meaning that it, in nowhere in these scriptures does Paul say you have to be perfect. I mean, John say you have to be perfect. If you remember Pastor Josh's sermon, it, it, he nailed it down. You are going to sin. You will have mistakes. You're not going to be perfect. And those things can be forgiven. And we have an advocate with the Father that can wash your heart. And he can change your heart. He can put you back in right standing with God and fellowship with God. But, but as you look to this evidence that John is speaking of here in our hearts, as he comes, he says, are, are these things evident in your life? Because if they're not, if they're not, you need to check it. Because salvation is much more than just saying you're a Christian. It's much more than just saying you was born into a Christian family. It's much more than just saying I'm going to heaven when I die. It's a transformation of your head, your heart, and your hands. And when you see that and you have evidence in your life, you can say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Let's pray together this morning.